to a new RFM coming up next uh, with Stephen Pritchard. We're going to be talking finance. Thursday finance is coming up next. Stephen's got lots of good things happening. Uh, We'll have our weekly market update with Henry Jennings. We'll be looking at holiday houses with Stephen as well. All sorts of questions, why people have them, what kind of investment they are, and you can find out if that's going to suit you. Stephen Pritchard, great to see you again. Um, Just to start off, uh, it seems that Newcastle Council isn't releasing the figures or how much it's costing them to stage the V8 car championships next year. You know, the the council appears to have spent uh, some money to buy uh, the rights to to stage this event in Newcastle, something called rights fee agreement, um, but they don't want to release how much it's costing. Now, I can't see any reason in the world why this should be confidential. The ratepayers ha- have a right to know how much the council's spending on these events, particularly when core services such as uh, maintenance of parks and roads are being cut back. You know, one, one wonders what they're thinking. Is it, uh, well, perhaps they need to pre- present us with a whole business case as to what it's, what they're expecting to come in for what's going out and exactly what's well, going yeah, out. Well, yeah, I mean, that's right. How, how much is this going to cost? How much per, per, per ratepayer is this going to cost? And, you know, what, what services have they, what other areas have they cut back on in order to fund this? I mean, you know, it can't be in isolation. The council claims they're revenue poor. And yet we can appear, apparently, spend a couple of million dollars on something but not actually tell the people paying the bills how much it's costing. I suppose you do have to pay something so as to reap rewards from it at some time, some would say. Well, what, what are the rewards? <laughs> well, do we know? <laughs> well, you know, we need to get the proper business, as you said, we need to get the proper business case. And, you know, it shouldn't be... Um, as the report shouldn't be treated, quote, treated as confidential and remain confidential under the council determines otherwise. I mean, the council should be determining that it's all in the public interest, this, 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 this report to be released. Mm, okay. the, rate, the rates are high enough without money being, uh, being spent on, on peripheral activities. The council needs to get back to basic services. Oh, peripheral activities. There's like fighting tri- trips words, overseas. Sure. Oh, okay. Well, perhaps we'd yeah. better get on to things yeah, like currencies things and, and commodities. Yeah, yeah, Jane. So how are they uh, travelling? So the, the, the currency markets and the commodities were, were, you know, they were all over the place this week. Uh, the gold price was down at 3% on the week to $1,666 an ounce. Uh, the silver price was down a 6% to $23.34. And the nickel price was down a 4.9% to $13,163 a tonne. Um, the Australian currency was down um, 0.2% this week to... Uh, to uh, seventy six dollars and eighteen so seventy six point one eight cents. Um, we're up one point four percent against the Great British Pound to fifty nine pence. Um, we were uh, pretty much steady against the euro to sixty seven euro cents, and we're steady against the Canadian dollar of one dollar. $1 Canadian to $1 Australian. Now, may I just tell you that I have it on good authority that they are known as loonies, the Canadian dollars? Loonies? Loonies. Loonies, as in loony chins. Exactly, so I'm told. I've never heard of that. Mm. Oh. That's, that's the latest news. Ah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I wonder what ours is called. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, um, well, I suppose the US currency is known as greenbacks. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know how you get 
to loonies from anyhow. Yeah. Anyhow, um, the equity markets are on well. The the all ordinaries is pretty much steady to, to last week. Five thousand five hundred thirty-seven this morning compared to five thousand five hundred uh, this time last week. Uh, the U.S. market was also pretty much steady. Eighteen thousand two hundred eighty-one. The Dow was. This or last night compared to eighteen thousand three hundred thirty nine. Um, this time last week, um, the UK index though was up to two point five percent. The BRICS troubles seem to the BRICS issues seem to be getting put behind them. Um, so that was seven thousand and thirty three compared to six thousand eight hundred forty nine. Um, there is some commentary now coming out and says says that Britain will actually be significantly advantaged once they exit the European Union, um, which seems to be different to what commentary was before. Um, people seem to be starting to add up how much money Britain's actually paying to, to stay in the EU, and they'll be saving all of that, which which isn't insignificant. Um, and the WEX Texas Intermediate Crude Price was up 10.16% for the week to $64.56 a barrel. Um, the unleaded fuel price, now this is interesting because last week we all predicted it was going to go up because of the long weekend, but of course it might have gone up after Thursday because it's up 15% on last week now. Um, Newcastle Newcastle uh, unleaded fuel price was a dollar twenty six point eight cents a litre this morning, which is up fourteen point nine percent on last week's dollar seven point eight, which we've just come off the long weekend. I suppose a number of people probably stretched it out a bit. Um, and Sydney, Sydney, the fuel price was down eight point five percent to a dollar eighteen point seven. Um, uh, this morning, and the diesel price was a uh, Newcastle was a dollar fourteen point five a litre, and last week was a dollar sixteen point five, so it's down one point seven percent. And the Sydney price was a dollar thirteen point six compared to a dollar fourteen point four cents a litre, so pretty stable there. Mm. So the oil price was the, the unleaded oil price has gone up significantly since last week. On to NURFM Thursday finance, and we are having our weekly market update now. Now, Stephen Pritchard with Henry Jennings. Henry Jennings, the world traveller, is back. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. How Hello, are Henry. you? Good, 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 good. I wouldn't say world. I'd say more Europe traveller at the moment. Ah, oh, well, that's 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 a fair tr- hike, though. I mean, how long does it take to get there? Twenty hours or something? Oh, more than well, seem more than that. Twenty-five on the way back, if you count the stop over in Abu Dhabi. Oh well, yeah, it's a whole day. It's it is a whole day. It's a long way. Yeah. It's a long way. Yes. So uh, you're back to the real world now. and uh, Back to the real world. And, and so some interesting things happened at Bradkin. I mean, this has to be the best performing stock for the year, I reckon. I mean, it was 40 cents at the beginning of the year, and now Phil Arnell and his crew over there have managed to extract an offer of $3.25 for it. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, it was down and out in Beverly Hills uh, at the beginning of the year, and as you, as you rightly say, there's been a big recovery in mining services full stop but this has really pushed them into the stratosphere so the, the Japanese have come with uh, nearly 700 million dollars um, in a bid around 325 cents a share stocks trading just a little bit below that so the market's obviously not anticipating uh, too much competition for this one and and it has uh, it has spiked I mean they were about two dollars forty mm. um, before I went away and, and now 322 so done very, very well, as have a lot of um, these mining services stocks, um, although this one is certainly one of the most spectacular performers. Yeah, I mean, the thing about this one is it, it did have some good core businesses in there that, that were, were going to keep going on yeah. if there's a downturn in the mining industry in Australia. It did, yeah. it did. So uh, obviously the 
Japanese are there. I guess they're, they're paying pretty much um, top dollar at the moment. <laughs> so, um, you know, Bradkin posted a full-year loss of nearly 200 million uh, bucks uh, not uh, not two months ago. So, um, obviously, they're very optimistic about the uh, the cycle and the turn mm-hmm. in that uh, in that services sector. Yeah, and last week we we, we mentioned uh, Bay, BAPCorp. BAPCorp. Yeah. So uh, yeah. offer for uh, Hellaby Holdings, and Hellaby Holdings have come out and said they're cheapskates. What a great name, yeah, Hellaby yeah. Holdings. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, Bapcor, which is the old Burston Group, which uh, supplies a lot of the uh, the parts to uh, small, uh, independent, and also major uh, motor mechanics around uh, Australia, has bid uh, 307 million bucks for this New Zealand group, which does a similar thing. The poor old chief exec of the New Zealand group was out there on a roadshow extolling the virtues of the uh, of the company and had to be uh, and was rudely interrupted by this bid by uh, the old Burston now called Batcor um, and has called them cheapskates as he thinks the uh, the offer is seriously undervalues uh, the company. Um, Burston or the new Babcor has been a, a huge performer on the market. I think they mm. came on around a dollar eighty five back in uh, the beginning of twenty fourteen, um, and here we are at. Uh, I think Hellaby Holdings has got a better name than Bapcor. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't I think keep Bapcor's a terrible name. Yeah, I, I don't know how much they spent changing their name. Names. I don't know what was wrong with Burson Group. That's I what mean, I was that, just, yeah, you know, these people that was just changed. a little changed. bit better than Bapcor. I mean, there's some, some highly paid uh, marketing executive that's come up with that, that name, which probably means something to somebody, but doesn't mean a lot to most people. Just a terrible name. It is a terrible name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's going to probably cost them a million dollars to change. Yeah, all that, all that branding and all the the paper, you know, the letterheads and the cards and everything. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. And they came up with Bapcorp, but there you go. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's usually that people change names when something's gone wrong to to cover up. Well, that's that's kind of the way of things, isn't it? Or at least with a demerge or something like yeah. you get the Arium or the One Steels and those sort sorts of things. But uh, it's unusual to go from what is a, a relatively well known and 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 has been performing very well named to uh, something so um, mm. strange. And Woolworths is looking to uh, to sell its petrol station network off for, for hopefully one point six billion. And, yeah. yeah, I mean there was talk of this before I went away. Yeah, and, uh, it looks talk. like uh, it looks like it's firming up now. Um, that maybe Caltex is going to be taking it. I mean, the Woolies guys are, are very much going back to concentrating on their knitting, uh, which is the grocery business, um, having sort of uh, got themselves out of the masters. Uh, debacle, um, and um, yeah, they're, they're looking to get rid of petrol stations. I would have, uh, you know, when you go to the UK, it's um, it's a very interesting experience because you go to the petrol stations there, and the petrol stations all have big sort of uh, Tesco's Express and Marks and Spencer's food, um, and they do sell a lot of food, and of course they do sell uh, wine and, and alcohol at petrol stations oh, okay. in the UK, which uh, is very different to uh, to us here. And you would have thought that. Woolies could have made more of their um, foray into the petrol business rather than just discounting uh, with the coupons and that sort of thing. But um, looks like they're getting back to their knitting. So, um, yeah, it remains to be seen how they go. But uh, 1.6 should be a good result for them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, nothing to be sneezed at there. No. And uh, speaking of oil, BHP now claims that the oil shale business is going to be a big cash flow generator within five years. <laughs> 
Well, the report I read that said that it wasn't going to happen until the next decade. So I guess that is five years. I mean, the five years is the, is the good way to look at it. BHP um, paid a huge amount of money for a business in the U.S. called PetroHawk, about $20 billion. Mm. Um, they've written down a lot of that, but they've had to put in a lot of money. Um, I guess the, um, the oil price is helping them um, in the fact that it's nearly sort of uh, $50 odd. So that, that has helped them, but it's also helping everybody else as well. So, um, yeah, BHP has been doing well uh, share price-wise on the back of that oil price. And, of course, the iron oil price has held up pretty well as well while I've been away. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, um, I guess it's a bit of a concern that it's going to take this long to start generating positive cash flow out of this business, which cost them so much. Yes, yes. Anyhow, we'll see what announcement they bring out in a year or so time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this, the, the, the oil business was the great sort of hope, I guess, for BHP at the moment. Coking coal's been going pretty well for them, um, and that's up. You know, that's one of the best performing commodities this year, up around one hundred and seventy odd percent. So, um, so that's been doing gangbusters. So, um, oil's helping, and of course, that's helping as well. So, yes. Yeah. And so we might come back in a second and just talk about what's happened at Syria Resources, oh, which, was, yes. which was all of a bit of a strange, right? Yes, it was yeah. a bit strange. Yeah. And this on 2NURFM is Thursday Finance, and we are in our market snapshot, our market update with Henry Jennings. Stephen, over to you. So, Henry, what's happening at the, the, the Syria Resources? <laughs> this was a strange one, I have to say. I mean, when, uh, when a CEO resigns, uh, or MD resigns. Usually, you know, the, the share price has mm. a bit of a reaction. Now, that's always kind of good for the ego. You know, every uh, MD thinks that they're the reason why people invest. But this one, uh, the MD um, unexpectedly, I guess, uh, resigned, and the stock dropped uh, 23 odd percent. It's been on a bit of a, a roller coaster. This Sira Resources has a uh, graphite project in Mozambique, um, and I guess graphite was a pretty hot commodity. Uh, and we've seen these from time to time. These hot commodities. We've seen it with lithium. Uh, we've seen it in graphite in the past. And the stock actually roared up to around 640 at one stage earlier this year. Um, and it's back down to um, to just above uh, 360. But it fell big time yesterday after this uh, this guy uh, resigned. Um, and he's he's still very much um, behind the company. He has 7% stake. I guess there was some concern about what he would do with that 7% stake. But it looks like they're doing a similar thing to what happened at uh, Fortescue. Um, if you remember rightly, Andrew Forrest or Twiggy Forrest was the man behind uh, Fortescue. Mm-hmm. But they get to a point where the promotion and the exploration, and you come to production, and that requires a different skill set. So uh, Andrew Forrest moved aside uh, and let Nev Power take over at Fortescue, and the stock's done massively well uh, since then. Nev Power's done a fantastic job. And this guy with uh, Syrah Resources looks like, I mean, he's an ex-stockbroker like Andrew Forrest was. He's done his bit in terms of promoting uh, and getting the, uh, the project off the ground, but it does seem now they're looking for a different skill set to take it, uh, take it to the next level. Uh, the stock has rallied 11% today, so down 22, up 11%. It's, there's some serious volatility in these things. I mean, they have uh, they're now 370. They were 640 uh, back in uh, when was that in June? So um, you know it's a, it's a, it's a very wild ride for investors, but it does look like there's nothing really suspicious uh, going on. It just seems that there's a different skills that are required to take the company to the next level. Mm, mm, mm. 
Yes, it's interesting. It's a, but you would have thought he'd re, he would have if he was resigning because of that he would have they would have teed up the replacement in advance. Well, you would have thought that was that was mm. so so. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously you know, there could be more to it than meets the eye, and that's what worries the market, I guess. Um, but um, yeah, so you know, I think it's good for the egos the share price to fall a little bit, so that everyone thinks, oh wow, you know, it's like when a CEO gets appointed, if the share price rallies three or four percent, you know, you kind of feel mm. better about things. Mm. Um, it's not a great vote of confidence when uh, the MD goes and it, it falls twenty two percent. So, um, so it would do good for his ego, but not his wealth, earning for seven percent of the company himself. Yes. So speaking of more than meets the eye, what's what's happening over at Deutsche Bank? Uh, all sorts of problems they seem to be having. Yeah, well, Deutsche Bank have, have been in trouble for some time. All this kind of blew up while I was away. Um, and, um, you know, th- this is potentially, uh, you know, people are calling this Europe's Lehman moment. Yep. Um, equally, the other side of the equation says that uh, you know, Deutsche Bank is too big to fail and the German government will bail them out. That is the hope, that is the theory. But Angela Merkel has been uh, has been very sort of strident in, in terms of not uh, not saying that she will bail them out at all. So, you know, but it's, it is a concern. They have got a massive derivatives book, um, and we saw this with Lehman's. If these sorts of companies do run into difficulty, and, and Deutsche Bank certainly has run into difficulty, um, then, you know, it has got potential to, uh, to spill over big time because everything is connected to everything in finance. And a company like Deutsche Bank has tentacles all over the world. And uh, some say, you know, it's got a 47 trillion derivatives book. Now, that's an awful lot of money. And we could see, uh, if if Deutsche Bank went under, we could see uh, some serious ramifications for global markets again. But at the moment, it does seem as if the crisis has been averted. Of course, the Italian banks have a similar problem. Um, They've got uh, capital problems and, and loan losses. Deutsche Bank have got uh, capital problems. They've also been fined quite heavily uh, by regulators around the world for uh, various transgressions. Um, and there was some rumours that the US government was going to fine them a huge amount of money, um, and that was going to have a major impact. And the knock-on effect globally could be uh, quite devastating. But it all seems to have calmed down remarkably. The last and, couple of days, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite strange. I, I would have thought that this would be enough to send uh, markets into a bit of a nervous spiral. Um, and, you know, you'd get a, a bit of a blip in the gold price. But in actual fact, the gold price has done quite the opposite. Fell, it's been, yeah. been under some serious pressure. But, uh, you know, there are some, some interesting risks out there at the moment, and uh, not least of which is uh, with Donald Trump, which is very much front and centre of a lot of European minds. Certainly a lot of guys in the UK were talking about that when I was over there, so... Yeah, interesting, interesting times ahead. So, so if, you, if, if listeners are concerned about something happening to Deutsche Bank, you, they should probably look at buying some gold stocks, I would have thought. Well, yeah, I mean, gold stocks have been, uh, the gold price has been hit quite heavily. Mm. Uh, gold has been a function of interest rates, and I guess that the big run in gold has been because we've seen low rates around the globe. Uh, in fact, zero rates in lots of places and negative in some. There were some rumours that the European Central Bank was going to cut back on its um, on its kind of uh, monetary stimulus programme, um, and that was enough to uh, to push gold down together with the fact that the U.S. looks like it's now firming up as a December rate rise, um, and higher interest rates mean that gold is a less attractive commodity to hold. Um, and I guess it did get a little bit overboard as well. There was a, 
bit of a bit of a herd mentality into gold and gold stocks. So mm-hmm. I guess all these things, as you saw with Syrah from 640 to 370, as you see with most commodities, they have a, a great day in the sun, but all, all things come to an end. And, you know, it may be time now to start uh, just just having a little look back at the gold sector because um, there are some uh, some interesting risks ahead. Um, and it may be that that sector does perk up again. Yes, yes, and just one thing to finish up is on the salmon producers. Um, yeah, so there's salmon. The, salmon. There's, there's, the, there's only the two listed salmons, isn't there? There's Tassel there and Hewan. Tassel yeah. and Hewan Agricultural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, apparently there's been bacterial infections in Chile, who's the world's second largest salmon producer. Well, that was news to me. Um, yeah. And this might increase demand for the Australian-produced product. Yeah, I mean, it's actually something I wrote about in the newsletter a little while ago because Norwegian salmon companies had been absolutely going gangbusters, but it hasn't really uh, spilt over into our uh, salmon sector. Um, if there is a salmon sector, there's only two of them. Two stocks, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it hasn't really kind of spilt over. There's a little bit of uh, little bit of action, but uh, not a huge amount. But there has been this problem in Chile with uh, with an infection. They've been treating it with huge amounts of uh, of antibiotics to clean it up. And one of the big U.S. Uh, companies that bought a lot of Chilean salmon said, "You know what? We don't want that stuff anymore because it's um, it's got too much uh, too yeah, much right. problems involved." But it, the, the problem is gearing up to uh, to supply yeah. is it, mm. quite hard. It takes five years um, to grow um, the salmon in in places, yeah. so it's it's not an easy thing to gear up overnight. Mm. Um, so it does take a little while, for, but it's certainly you know human agriculture has doubled their capacity. Um, and they're looking, um, they're looking for um, for expansion, and uh, you know, hopefully we can uh, capitalise on that Tasmanian cool Antarctic waters. Um, but you know, even our guys have had problems with hot weather down there and the slow yeah. growth of the fish. So it's it's not an easy thing growing growing salmon, unfortunately. Um, and so it's hard to take advantage of these uh, these temporary problems with world supply. Okay, well, we might talk to you again next week, Henry. We will. Look forward, Henry. Thank you, Henry Jennings, senior commentator with Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. On to a new RFM's Thursday Finance. Stephen Pritchard has brought up the subject of holiday houses. Now we all like holidays, and we all like holidays. Just at the end of a holiday house, just paid the the song about running along the beach. Yes, it's all part of the same theme. And we're just coming up to the holiday season. Well, we well, just had a holiday, holiday but, but there will be, you mean, the summer holiday yeah, season, summer which holiday is season. only just around the corner. two months away, isn't so it? So it would uh, be, yeah. So the big question is... A lot, a lot of people go on holidays, particularly over Christmas, and they, 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 they rent a place and then they're out looking around and, you know, the, the local real estate agent's got all these properties for sale and they think, wouldn't it be good to have a, a holiday house? Part of my regular life. Yes, yes, yes. So is that why they purchase them? Well, I think they kid themselves that they're a good investment. I think what they do is they, I I don't know, I think, uh, you know, the first thing you should think about is a holiday holiday house is really a lifestyle choice. It's not a good investment. 
Okay. I, I've never seen any that are a good investment. Now, why is it not a good investment? Well, I think what people come along and they think, you know, we're, we're staying there over Christmas and we're, we're paying $2,000 a week or whatever it is. And then they think, well, you know, the place only costs $600,000 and you're getting in 2000 a week. But what they forget is that you're only getting that 2000 a week for about six weeks at Christmas and maybe a couple of other weeks at Easter, particularly if it's by the seaside. And that's income for the year. Mm-hmm. And that may or may not mean that you get an awful yeah, lot for the rest of the year. That's right. So, so and, there's, and, you know, particularly in areas like up at the bay, um, Bluey's Beach, Foster, um, just going up the coast to Newcastle, people tend to go north um, for some reason. Um, yeah, but, but all those north coast type areas that people, you know, with an hour or two hours away that, that they go there and would like to purchase this holiday house and, you know, they look at the, you know, the good times they have and then, they, you know, sometimes they go actually go and buy it without, you know, thinking about it. Um, so, and of course, the, the other the other issue with a holiday house is that um, to get the high rents, it, it's usually the time you want to use it as well. Ah, oh, yes, that is a problem. Mm. Yeah, so you buy this holiday house thinking oh, it'll be good to go up over there Christmas, and then it will be getting this rent, but it's at the, it's at the same time. So, so a lot of cases, the rents don't actually. Um, 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 you know, eventuate. And the other thing is, you know, the tax issues. Now. Yeah, well, surely you can claim some of it. Well, yes, you can, you can claim some of it. And one of the things the tax office is looking very closely at is, is um, the, the you know, what you're actually claiming. So if you buy a holiday house and you, you, it's available for rent, um, yes, it's like any other rental property. You know, if, if it's available for rent for the whole year, you can claim all the tax deductions, you know, 100% of the tax age. The issue comes with um, it's not available for rent for the, 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 the period when it's most likely to be rented. Which uh, is when you're using it. Which yourself. is yours using. And then you have to start apportioning um, the deductible amounts. Now, it's quite likely that in the event of an audit, the tax office isn't going to allow you to claim you're, you're up there for the six weeks over Christmas and um, it's not rented for the rest of the year, but you say, oh, it's listed with the real estate agent. They never got anyone. Um, it's highly unlikely they're going to allow you to claim 46 uh, 50 seconds of the expenses. So so really, as we said at the beginning, you should look at it as a lifestyle asset, not as an investment and not as a tax deduction. Now, are there any capital gains? Yes. Well, of course, the holiday house, house will be subject to capital gains tax. It's not like your principal place of residence. And this is the only time I've actually seen people make any money out of a holiday house. Um, they've actually sold it for a, a capital gain at the end. Now, the, the capital gain... Um, is is basically the cost base less the less the sale price provided you've bought it for an investment. Now any any of these other expenses that you've had that are non deductible or along the line, such as the um, council rates, etc., you can also add that to the cost base before you calculate the capital gain. So so they're not they're not altogether lost, but you're not going to get the big deduction. Now, but but you need to bear in mind there are there, there are places up the north coast where the last property boom was in 2006, 2007, and people have bought properties up, up there, and and um, the prices still haven't reached those prices again yet. So it's not it's not for sure that you will get a capital gain. And, and these little coastal villages, um, the prices in those areas are extremely volatile. And I think at one stage, the Nelson Bay area had the, the highest mortgage defaults in the in Australia, I think, yeah, and and because what what happens? People buy the the good times come 
good times go, tough times come along, the wife or the husband might lose his job, they go back to one age, you know, the overtime's lost. The first thing they'll try and protect is their own house where they're living, and the holiday house suddenly becomes a, a superfluous, uh, has to be sold, um, you know, and they just get what they can get. And, you know, there's places at the Bay I know that were sold for 700000 2006, 2007. Today they're being sold, resold for four hundred. Mm. So, so, mm. so yes, th- which there's not a guaranteed capital gain in these places. Yes, and sometimes you might need to hang on to them for a very long time. Well, you've got to have the money. You've got to, to have be able money. to do that, yeah. Yes. Well, holiday houses. Holiday houses aren't, just aren't, aren't, aren't something you should fall in love don't buy them while you're away on holidays. Come back and think about it. Do some numbers. Work out whether you can really afford it. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. We'll be back with Thursday Finance um, next Thursday after the midday news on 2NURFM.